Are we there yet? That is the topic. That's the, we've been doing a series on marriage on Sunday mornings for Sunday school, and so that's where we're at. We're in the middle of this lesson tonight, uh, this morning, lesson four. It's a two-lane highway, and this whole lesson is about communication. And uh, not just make sure you're talking to each other, but how you talk to each other, what you say, how you say it. It's so important in a marriage. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be, uh, we're kind of using that as a springboard in this lesson. But we talked last week about the fact that there's ditches on both sides. One, that you should, you know, saying things that you should not say. The other side is not saying anything at all, climbing up, basically. And so uh, both of them are ditches that we're trying to avoid. And so... There's guardrails to keep us from going into those ditches. And so uh, the first one is the guardrail of truth. And we mentioned last week that there ought to be no secrets, no secrets between you and your wife. Everything ought to be open. Uh, we talked a lot about that, <clears throat> um, whether, it's, whether it's sin, whether it's bank account, whether it's whatever. There, everything ought to be open. Everything ought to be together. You, uh, when you join your wife in marriage or your husband in marriage, uh, that was one of the things, I, I hate to say it this way, but that's one of the things you gave up is your privacy between the two of you because you are, you're married and there ought to be no secrets between the two of you. The second thing, and we started talking about this last week, but that is safe sharing. And there's more truthfulness than what you don't say. Um, there's also what you do say. And we talked about, we started talking about this last week. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 25 gives us this warning. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. <clears throat> yes, put away lying. Don't lie, but also you should be speaking the truth. So good communication is proactive communication, where your spouse is the one person on earth that you can talk to, the one person on earth that you can share anything with, and, and feel comfortable doing it. So regular communication is that, that highway to that complete openness, that complete uh, oneness that you should have in marriage. So without that real exchange of thoughts and emotions, there's not going to be any real depth to your relationship. And so uh, men sometimes feel anxious, I think, about uh, too much emphasis on communication. A lot of times men are reluctant to share their, their deep feelings with their wife because, well, you know, I'm not a touchy-feely kind of person, you know. Um, and, and they don't always find it easy to share those thoughts and the feelings. But without learning healthy, godly communication, your relationship is not going to go anywhere. Well, that's just not the way I was raised. We talked about that last week. Well, guess what? Just because that's the way you, you were raised doesn't mean that it was, number one, right, and number two, that you can't change it, and you should change it. There should be that open communication. You should be willing and able to share everything with your wife. Uh, and, you know, men have to understand as well that wives need to talk. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, I, I heard this, this uh, a, a wife say, you know, the husband was kind of chiding his wife, you know. They say that, that men speak 15,000 words a day, but women speak 30,000 words a day. And, he, and she said, well, that's because we have to repeat everything twice. And he looked at her and he said, what? <laughs> women need to talk. And that's one of the things that, that, that is part of their nature for the most part. Now, not every man is afraid to share his feelings and not every woman is is a talker, you know, but that's generally the, the way that we are. Men are that way, women are that way. And so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, just a couple verses before that, um, says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love, that's the, the emotional climate of a marriage should make it easy to speak the truth and should promote that growth together. What, what this looks like specifically to men and ladies is, is slightly different. 
um, because we are different. But to, to most women, a safe environment is knowing that her husband is listening to her, know that he, is, he, that he cares about her feelings. You know, if, and, and, and this happens. When you grow up in a family that does not um, maybe openly share their emotions, you know, and everybody's not running around, you know, saying I love you every other, uh, every other sentence and, and giving each other hugs all the time. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but some people grow up in families that are not that way. That's kind of the family that we grew up in. You know, I knew my parents loved me, but they didn't say it that often, you know? And so when, when it came time to say I love you, it was kind of awkward, you know? Uh, it's something that I've had to, to learn in my marriage with my wife, you know? I mean, I knew without a question that my dad loved my mom and my mom loved my dad. You know, and they showed it in a lot of different ways. They just didn't say it very much, you know. And, and I don't know what they said when they were together with just the two of them, you know. But uh, at least in front of us, they didn't talk about that all that often. And so you grow up in this environment where, well, you just don't, you just don't share your feelings, you know. You just don't talk about those things. I, I've made it a habit that every time I hang up the phone, every time I walk out the door, you know, we tell each other that we love each other. I mean, it's, you know, I, I tell my kids often, you know, it's, it's something that my parents didn't really do that often with us. And, uh, but that's, you know, um, my wife needs to know that I'm going to listen to her and that I'm not going to make fun of her for saying I love you, you know, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but to most men, a safe environment is knowing that, that what he shares is not going to go farther than that conversation. And that's a very important thing. You know, you get two women together, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bashing women, but you get two women together who want to talk about something, and so they start talking about the things that their husband told them in a conversation that was only meant for a husband and wife, something that nobody else should know. And I'll tell you, the fastest way to break down the trust in a relationship is for somebody else to find out about something that you told your wife or you told your husband in confidence. That's the fastest way to break down any relationship, but especially a relationship between a husband and wife. And that's what I'm talking about, about safe sharing. You ought to be able to share anything with your husband. You ought to be able to share anything with your wife and know that it's not going to go beyond that. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that she shall have no need of spoil. So that he shall have no need of spoil. I'm sorry. So we always have to remember that there are two sides of speaking the truth. Speaking it and speaking it in love. So without that guardrail of truth, marriage communication winds up in a ditch very fast. The second guardrail is the guardrail of indignation. That's a long word. If you need to know how to spell it, there it is on the board or on the, on the screen. But the guardrail of indignation. Ephesians chapter 4, and you should be there in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26 says this. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. What about when communication or the lack of communication leads to an impasse in going forward? This conversation is going nowhere fast, and obviously we're not going to get a resolution between now and tomorrow morning. No real relationship can avoid conflict. Look, there's two people that are living in close proximity to each other. Maybe you had this, maybe you went to college and you had a roommate, right? And the first week or the first two weeks, everything's cordial because you're just getting to know each other. And you, you know, if you're a normal person, you're trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying not to, you know, annoy these people too, too soon. But it doesn't take very long before pretty soon one of those or all of those roommates get on your nerves about something, right? And it doesn't take too long, maybe a couple weeks before you have an argument about something because this is just the way it is when you're living in close proximity to somebody else. And I know you're not just roommates when you're married, but it's going to happen. 
Conflict is going to happen in a marriage. And, and any relationship that does avoid conflict either has no depth or it has, uh, it has underlying stress that one or the other will not acknowledge. And so we're, we're going to talk, we're going to look more closely in our next lesson at this passage and dealing, in, dealing with conflict in particular. But for now, I want to look at two instructions that this passage gives for us when we do face that point of conflict that really evokes anger. It gives us to the point where, where we're mad about something. We're, we're, we're angry. We're fighting about something. First, be angry at the problem, not at the person. And there's, you, there's, not, a, there's not a specifically a, something to fill in there, but you can write that underneath there. Be angry at the problem, not the person. Uh, Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Hatred and anger are not always wrong emotions, <clears throat> right? We can hate sin. We can hate the devil. We can hate those that work iniquity, right? That's what the Bible says. But we're not hating the person. We're hating the sin and, and, and anger. I mean, look, there's a, such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus had it when he went into the temple and drove out the money changers, right? So hate and anger are not always wrong emotions, but they're wrong when they're directed at somebody else, especially in a marriage. Um, Henry Ford said, don't find a fault, find a remedy. If you're, marriage, if you're married, you're on the same team. You're working together. You're not fighting against each other. You're not two opponents doing battle. That's the way we look at it a lot of times when we're in an argument, but we're not. We're, we're fighting on the same team. We're trying to go forward together for God. We're trying to go forward together for our family. So rather than pointing fingers at, an, at, at each other, just tackle the problem that's hurting and threatening your relationship. And that's why I say, be mad at the problem, not the, not the person. The second thing is don't let anger linger. Um, you have to determine that you're not going to go to bed angry with each other, ever. Somebody said, don't go to bed angry, stay up and fight. And that's not necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily the greatest advice, but that doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to develop an answer before you go to bed, right? You may not come up with a resolution before you go to sleep. There may be times when you have to just reach for the other person's hand, reaffirm that you love each other, and talk about the fact that, look, we'll, we'll talk some more about this in the morning. But you don't go to bed angry, right? I jump in bed on this side, and I try to get in there, you know, while she's still in the bathroom washing her face and all that stuff, so hopefully I'll be asleep by the time she gets in there, you know? And I won't have to talk about it. Or I'm going to face the wall, and I'm not going to say anything, you know? See how she likes that, you know? But, and that's what I'm saying, there, you don't always have a resolution to the conflict, but you shouldn't go to bed angry at each other. Uh, you can go to bed without a resolution, just don't go to bed angry. That thing is, I don't, where, where in the world does a wasp come from in the course? We've had spring weather the whole winter so far, but I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Do we have a fly swatter around here somewhere? <laughs> we haven't pulled one out in a while, but we'll have to get that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the guardrail of proactive indignation helps you to protect the most important part of your life, and that's your heart. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart, and you'll guard your marriage. And when you, when you refuse to direct your anger toward your spouse, then what's going to happen is um, it just gives you another advantage in communication. If you're not mad at, at that person, you're mad at whatever the issue is, then it gives you the ability to listen. James chapter 1 and verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You probably heard your grandmother say it a bunch of times. There's a reason that God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? You should listen twice as much as you talk. 
And it's true. It's true. Sometimes we hear our spouses with actually, without actually listening to them. Um, have you ever lived near somewhere where there was loud noise? Maybe you lived next to a highway. When we were growing up, we moved into a house and it was on this little back lane. It was a little cul-de-sac, dead-end road, but it was right next to the highway in the backyard. And there was no access to it, but it was right there. And when we first got there, it, it kept you awake because all night you hear these trucks and you, know, you just hear the road noise and everything else. But it didn't take long before we were so used to it that we were in the house and didn't even hear it. Didn't even notice that the trucks were out there, you know, doing all the stuff that they do and, and all just the road noise. I mean, and literally, uh, it, of course, when you're a kid, the yard always looks huge. You go back later and it looks like about this big, you know, so it felt pretty big to us, but I'm sure it was a very small yard and, and, and it was a big embankment and the highway was at the top of it, you know. And I think we ended up eventually moving out of that house because my parents were just finally sick of it. But for us, it didn't bother us at all. You know, we could we could actually see the cars on the highway from the bed in the room at night. And so we would count trucks. You know, we did all kinds of stuff. It didn't bother us after a while. And uh, you, you just you just learn to completely tune it out. The noise is still there. You still hear it, but uh, you're not listening to it anymore. And I think that's what happens or, or can happen in a marriage. You know, um, when our reflex response to a situation is anger, the first thing that we're thinking of is just to get mad, then we miss hearing the heart of our spouse. But when we guard our own hearts uh, against that anger, then we're free to really listen. We're free to really hear what they're saying, and, we're, and we can find a solution. So that's the guardrail of indignation. Another guardrail that we have in this two-lane highway of communication in a marriage is the guardrail of kindness. Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You ever step back and listen to yourself and thought, man, I sound really harsh. That sounded really mean. I've done that before. Look, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I, I have. I suppose all of us have. And, and I think um, it's amazing that sometimes the, the basic courtesies that we show strangers, we don't show to the people that we love the most. Look, how many times have you gotten into a shouting match with somebody at work? You might be so mad at that person, seething mad at something that they did, something that they always do. But what do you do? You show restraint. You don't go hollering at them and yelling at them and, and, you know, in front of everybody in the office and everything else. But then we get home and all the gloves come off. We're not afraid to holler and yell and scream and everything else, right? Why is that? Uh, you know, if you want to have a kind speech, it helps to set parameters. And, you know, just like a basketball game, you know, there's out of bounds for a reason. If there, was no, if there was no out of bounds, then it would hardly be a game. You know, could you imagine somebody dribbling up into the stands all the way around the top and then back around just to get around the defense, you know? I mean, it would be chaos. You couldn't watch it as a fan. You couldn't watch it as a play. I mean, you couldn't play it as a player. There would be no need for refs, and it would be unenjoyable, right? And that's, it's honestly the same way in marriage. So there are four simple rules for communication that, that, that we'll give here that are so basic that sometimes we might be tempted to overlook them, but they're very important. And uh, we, ought to, we ought to consider committing these things to, um, to our marriage. First one is this, never threaten with divorce. Never threaten with divorce. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and he said, the idea of divorce never came up in our marriage until one day she mentioned the idea of divorce. And he said, that set the ball in motion, and now we're divorced. 
He said, if she had never mentioned that, and he said, I don't think she really meant it. I don't think she really wanted to, to get a divorce, but once she said it, that set the ball in motion, and we, got, we ended up getting divorced over that. And, and I think that's, I mean, usually whoever mentions divorce first does it to try to get the other person's attention. But um, once you crack that door open, uh, even suggesting that divorce is a possibility gives Satan the ability to push that door open even wider. And it just creates an atmosphere that is not something that you want to create. So we, we you need to make a commitment that the divorce word will never enter your disagreements, that will never be hinted at as a possibility. Look, if you get your finger stuck in a door, right? If you get your finger stuck in a door and, it, and you break your you break your finger or something like that. It hurts, right? Um, do you ever look at your arm and say, man, if you ever do that again, I'm cutting you off, right? No, you don't do that. It's part of you. It's your arm. You're not going to cut your arm off. Why would you even threaten to cut your arm off? What good is it going to do? You're not, number one, you're not really going to do it. And number two, it would be such a hurt to you. You would never consider just cutting your own arm off because of a tiny disagreement with your finger, right? But the same is true in a marriage. When you got married... You became one flesh, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? They too shall become one flesh. When that happens, you're not going to consider ripping yourself in half. So why make divorce a consideration? That's something that we ought to do. Divorce should never be mentioned in your marriage. Number two, never argue in front of the kids. The greatest gift, we just got through Christmas. We just got through giving gifts and all of that kind of stuff. The greatest gift that you can give your children is to love your spouse. Greatest gift that you can give your children is to love your spouse. If they see that daddy loves mama and mama loves daddy, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you don't have. They're rich. We had that. We weren't poor growing up. We didn't live in a dirt hut or anything like that, but we didn't have a lot. But I knew what we had. My dad loved my mom and my mom loved my dad. And that just created a wonderful environment to grow up in. And, you know, you can make fun out of anything. You know, we, had, we, we made fun out of all kinds of stuff without much stuff. But if you love your husband and, and, and uh, the, um, if you love your husband, wives, if husbands love their wives, then you're not going to do those kind of things and you're giving your children one of the best things that you can give them. You know, sometimes um, parents purposely involve their children in the arguments. Didn't mom do that? You saw her doing that, didn't you? Didn't you see that? That is the absolute worst thing that you can do. Because number one, your kids should never see you arguing anyway. But number two, now you put them in a tough spot. Because now you're, you're making them make a choice. Do you love dad more or do you love mom more? Right? And a lot of times what happens is then mom ends up doing the same thing. You saw dad doing that, didn't you? Well, now you're pitting each other against each other and using the kids to do it. And so never argue in front of the, the children. Hearing their parents fight does influence the children. Um, it makes them insecure. It makes them worry that the disagreements are their fault. It makes them wonder if mom and dad are going to stay together. And it just, you know, it impacts their academics and everything else because of the emotional distraction that it creates. And so you need to make a rule. Make the rule that you're going to stand united in love in the presence of your children, that you're going to work out your disagreements privately. Here's number three. Never attack personally. Never attack personally. And this is a practical uh, outworking of attacking a problem rather than a person. You should never attack the person. 
Attack the problem. And if you're attacking the problem, then that means you're attacking it together. But never attack personally. You know, instead of accusing, you know, you always leave your socks in the bathroom floor because you don't care how much I work around here. You know, explain your vantage point. Ask the question. I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with keeping the bathroom clean. Would you mind picking up your socks and putting them in the hamper after you get done with them? Right? It's different. There's a difference. You're attacking the problem. The problem is that there's socks on the floor in the bathroom and it's, it's getting pretty annoying. Right? But attacking the problem instead of the person. You always... But what does that instantly make a person do? Put the wall up and go on the defensive, right? If my wife asked me, can you please put your socks in the, in the hamper? It's just, you know, okay, fine. You know, it's, it's not, it's, she's not attacking me. She's attacking the problem, you know? And that's what we're talking about. Don't presume to know your spouse's motives. Don't turn that action into a lack of character. Oh, he's only throwing the socks on the floor because he's too lazy to take them to the hamper. And then you tell him that, Right? You're, you're presuming, his, you're, you're, you're demeaning his character. You're assuming that his motives are that he's trying to create more work for you and everything else. And it's probably not that at all. But if you attack the problem instead of the person, then it creates a whole lot nicer, better atmosphere. Here's another thing. Number four, take breaks during tense moments. When you sense frustration or anger rising, take a few minutes to collect your emotions. Remember that you love your spouse before you... Go re-engage in that conversation, right? It was either Henry Ford or Thomas Edison. It was actually probably Abraham Lincoln because he said everything. But uh, he said, um, if you're angry, when you're angry, count to 10. When you're really angry, count to 100. Look, a lot of things that we say that we wish we hadn't said, we say in that first two or three seconds after we're attacked, if we want to use that word. If you count to 10, a lot of times that short little five, six, seven seconds that it takes you to count to 10 is enough time for you to calm down. And if you're really angry and you count to 100, by the time you get to 100, if you can remember even how to count that high, you probably completely forgot what you were mad at, you know? Um, and so take those, take those breaks. Proverbs chapter 29 talks about this very clearly. It says this in verse 11, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it until afterward. You know what that means? When you're angry, count to 10. When you're really angry, count to 100. Because a fool uttereth all his mind. But a wise man keeps it until afterwards. Uh, instead of giving your spouse a piece of your mind, choose to give yourself a slice of time. And usually, if you will take a couple minutes, be willing to give them to the other person when he or she needs them, then you're far less likely to say something that you're going to regret. And there's one caveat to, to the practice of taking a time out. Neither spouse should use that as a way to shut down the conversation. Uh, the last thing that you should be doing Instead of, you know, well, if we're, uh, I shouldn't be arguing with you, so you know what? You just go in this room. I'm going to go in this room. We're, just, we're, we're done. We're not going to talk about it anymore. All that does is push the problem to another day and gives it a chance to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Cutting off the communication, it does not help, okay? Take five minutes. Look, give me five minutes. Let me go collect myself. I'll be back. We'll sit down and we'll talk about it. But don't just say, you know what? I'm done. This is it. Forget this conversation. This is ridiculous. We're not getting anywhere. I'm done. Right? That's the easy thing to do. That's what we do often. Right? But you've heard the schoolyard rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's not true. That's not true. Most of us have probably been hurt by somebody's words at some point. So that leads to our final guardrail, the guardrail of edification. 
We're going to try to cover this quickly. A lot of these are just uh, verses that we're going to look at here. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication come, uh, proceed out of your mouth. But here's the second half. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We, we started this lesson last week by talking about the power of our words, the importance of our words. For all the power they have to wound and hurt somebody else, they also have tremendous power to build somebody else. Everybody's been built by somebody's words of encouragement. Everybody's been built by somebody's words of edification. And it means a lot when somebody says something to you like that, doesn't it? There's one action that love does is it builds others. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Love edifies. It builds. That's what uh, every time we use our words to criticize, we're saying to our spouse, essentially, I don't love you. Because when we criticize, we're tearing down. When we edify, we're building up. And we're saying, I love you. Communicating that love. That's in, in one, really in one of the most meaningful ways that's possible. If, encouraging words are so powerful that Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says that they administer, uh, they minister grace unto the hearers. You can, through the, through the very words that you speak, be a dispenser of grace to your spouse. You can use your words to tear down very easily. We're all good at that. Most of the time, that's the first thing that pops into our mind is, is the best comeback in the world, right? But that's not always the best thing to say. And when we take a second to collect our thoughts, to collect our emotions, and use that to build up instead, we're, we're showing in the greatest way that we possibly can that we love our husband or that we love our wife. One of the best Bible studies you could do individually or as a couple is to study the impact of our words and how God desires to use our words for his glory. Look, we can use our words to witness. We can use our words to edify, to, to build up, to do all of those kind of things. And there's no better way to do that than in a marriage. So as we finish this lesson this morning, I want, I want to look at seven ways that we can use our words to build one another. And like I said, we're just going to go through these quickly, pretty much read the verses that go along with them. Building words give instruction and wisdom. Building words give instruction and wisdom. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. It's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? Building words give instruction and wisdom. The tongue of the wise, he says in Proverbs 15 too, useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Proverbs 16, verse 23, the heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. So wisdom and instruction. Building words give direction. A lot of these, uh, basically all of these come from the book of Proverbs, some from Psalms, but Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Proverbs 27, 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Building words give direction. Building words praise the Lord. He says in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 51, verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. So building words praise the Lord. Building words encourage others. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The, the fifth thing is that building words are pleasant and appropriate. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. So building words are pleasant words. They're appropriate words. Saying the right thing at the right time. Having the right thing to say to that person when they need to have it said. And look, all of these things take wisdom. All of these things take that relationship with God to be right. Because you never know when something's going to come up where you're going to have to respond. 
right? Number one, I want to be on praying ground. I want to be in a position where if I need to drop to my knees and beg God to do something right now, I don't have to spend 20 minutes in prayer getting everything taken care of between me and him before I can even start. I want to be on praying ground, right? I want to be in a position that I can pray now because I need to. But when I'm in that position, then I'm also in, that, in, I'm also in the position that God can use my words to build up. God can use my words to direct. God can use my words to encourage others. They're pleasant and they're appropriate. Building words also facilitate healing. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 11. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. 15.4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. 12, 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. I mean, building words can facilitate healing, right? They can tear down. We can cut somebody like a sword, you know, like a knife. We can slice through them and doing all that kind of stuff. But the opposite is also true. We can use our words to help somebody. We can use our words to heal somebody. And then building words also bring security and truth. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 20 and 21. Have not I written to thee excellent things in, the count, in counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Building words bring security and truth. You have the power, like no one else in the world, to build up and to encourage your spouse. Use that power. Right? Well, I, I, have the, I just have this ability to be really sarcastic when I need to. Right? I just have this ability to come, to, to come back with, these, with a perfect comeback at the right time. Right? How about, how about let's use that to build, to encourage, to edify, to heal. So as we work at communication in our marriages, you'll have the times when you mess up. You might scrape the guardrail from time to time. Um, sometimes you'll swerve into the ditch. You may end up traveling exactly in the opposite direction than you intend to go. But when you struggle to go forward and you, you know, when you, you mess up by overcorrecting, don't put your communication in park and quit trying. You need to keep that road open. You need to keep the lanes of communication flowing. Don't shut down the lanes or leave all the communication to your spouse. It's, it's a two-way street. Both of us have to be communicating for things to work the way that they should work. So, Communication is, is a two-lane highway, and it works, best, it works best if you both keep moving on it. And there's a lot of things here, I know. There's, there, there might be some frustrations along the way. There might be some things where you think, I wish they would just do these things that we talked about, you know. Um, but it's the highway to happiness in your relationship, so keep driving. Keep that communication open. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Use your words to edify, to build up. And I can tell you this, no marriage is perfect. Uh, no marriage is without conflict. But the conflicts will be a whole lot easier to resolve. Um, you'll have a whole lot more fun on the trip. And uh, there won't be conflicts that are unresolved that just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you just, well, we, unreconcilable differences. We can't, we can't, no, you don't have to worry about that if the communication is right. So we'll get into some things about conflict next week roadblocks some things that, that that pop up in our marriage how how conflicts begin and then how we can uh how we can resolve those conflicts in our marriage all right let's pray and then we'll be dismissed for the service this morning father we love you again we thank you so much for how good you are to us i thank you for the time that we can spend together i thank you for the the word of god and for the wisdom that we can have in it thank you so much for what you do and i pray that you bless the service here in the next hour thank you for what you do for us in jesus name amen, amen. all right